Around the world and across the shards, this is The Cavern Today, brought to you by the Cavern Communications Network. Hello everyone, and welcome to our early anniversary podcast. That's right, listeners, this is our 12th podcast. I can hardly believe we've been doing this for almost a whole year. I know what you mean, Tyan. It does not feel like it has been so long. Our first podcast came out September 9 of last year, and we have even done special productions like the Christmas special. Yet, the year has flown so quickly. Yes, it has certainly been a wonderful, interesting, and productive process these past nine months. And I would also like to say, Happy New Year. After all, April 21st is the nine new year. Leave for one. There were even fireworks in some of the hoods. Of course. Thank you for reminding us, Veraloon. Happy Dini New Year, everyone. Happy Dini New Year. A little late never hurts. And of course, since this is now May, Happy Mother's Day too. Yes, Happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. Where would we be without all you great women? Well, for one thing, we would not be here bringing you this great, great podcast. Today in Spokane, Washington, it is 65 degrees and mostly cloudy. In southern New Mexico, it is 72 degrees and partly cloudy. You can start taking off your jackets while it's finally starting to warm up. Down in the cavern, it is 68 degrees and slightly misty. Reports say that the heat coming down from the surface through the cavern walls is interacting with the lake water around the perimeter of the cavern, creating some steam. The slight haze really adds to the atmosphere down there, but be careful of your hair, all that humidity is sure to make it freeze. Hello again, this is Moog for the cavern today. So now the liaisons are elected, and hopefully we can get back to the business of community building. In the same way that the DRC hopes to restore the deep city of the Dene from ruins, it's up to us to assist in building the Uru community after two years of disappointment, uncertainty, and bitterness. The last few weeks have been a challenge for many of us. The process by which we selected the liaisons was not universally accepted, and the disagreements that accompanied those elections were at times very disturbing. The unfortunate result was that a number of community members, some of long standing, decided to pack up and leave Uru for good. I know that I felt a keen disappointment, realizing that the current state of the community was a far cry from the one I'd originally joined back in the days when the overall mood was one of excitement and anticipation. I was very discouraged, and I debated with myself as to whether to stay or go. It was during this period that I came across a feature we'd included in an earlier podcast. We did a tribute to a beloved community member named Pepsi, who is no longer with us. And included in that tribute was my reading of a short essay she'd written describing what Uru meant to her. In this time of new beginnings, Pepsi's words seem more relevant than ever. So at this time, we'd like to bring you Pepsi's tribute once again. I hope it will remind you all just how amazing Uru really is. Pepsi writes, I have been a mist addict since mist first came into being. I loved mist Riven, and I even loved Exile. But none of them have had the impact on me that Uru has had. I am an avid, and I didn't see how that could be any deeper than it already was until I made my first steps into Uru. 
And let me say part of that again and stress what I mean. Until I made my first steps into Uru. Why have I stressed those words? Because I live my days in a scooter, an electric wheelchair. It is my legs. Unless you have ever been likewise confined, you can't completely understand what I am about to tell you. You can imagine what it might be like, but you can't really completely understand it. I have been mostly confined to my scooter from juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, diagnosed at age 13, since I was 16, and I am now 50. I remember how it felt to run and jump in my mind, but that hasn't been the case for over 20 years now. But I recently was allowed to feel that feeling again. I wouldn't have believed it myself. As much as I love Mist, Denis, and the whole Atra storyline, I would never have believed what impact a game could have on my life. But it did, and I will be forever grateful to Rand, Cyan, and Ubi for giving me that feeling back. My first night in Uru was so unbelievable. I had heard about the beta test, and applied with little hope of getting in, since I had never done anything like it before. But I was accepted, and when I entered the desert, it seemed like the start of any game, a fun thing, but nothing more, or so I thought at the time. But as I begin my journey, things begin to change. It wasn't just the clues and the puzzles, and for that matter, even the beauty I was encountering. It was the way I was beginning to feel inside. I stayed to myself mostly, shy and unsure of myself. But then I met C.A. Grey Wolf, or G.W., as I affectionately call him, I also met Tink and others, and I felt the lure then of actually being with fellow misters in this magnificent environment, and the feelings kept evolving. No longer was I just Janet and her scooter in the living room at my computer. I was Pepsi, who could walk and run and jump, and oh God, that was wonderful. When I was in Uru with my newfound friends exploring, I was in Dani with my newfound friends exploring. I could feel myself jump to the ledge in Edergira, and get the journey cloth, and I could feel myself running through the puddle of water in Kadesh Talisa while heading for the second puzzle. These were not the only feelings going on, however. I also felt that I was really there when we would gather just to talk or play tag or hide-and-seek. I have made so many close friends in Uru. This has been a very unique game, quote-unquote. Uru is a game that isn't just a game. It's a game that gave me back my legs and let me forget about the scooter while I was there. What has Uru meant to me? It has meant the world to me. Signed, Pepsi. The news buzzing around the hoods lately are the elections of the Asiliasons, the new town hall meetings, and the last and most important one, the return of Uru life for the fall. Liaison between the explorers and the returning DRC members have been elected as follows. Sia Greywolf, Ellery, Gadron, Truick and Vortmarks. These lucky few met with DRC members Mary Sutherland, Victor Laxman, Michael Engbert and Dr. Kodama in a private hood on April 15th to set up the town hall meetings. They discussed times, locations and the names they should go by, passing up dictators, links and even underground overlords for the title we know them as liaisons. Marie Sutherland also showed them an image of a new in the works age, Iderdelin, which Twig thought looked like a word combination of Kemo, Gira and Kaddish Tolesa. 
Chat logs of this and other meetings are available on several forums, including CCN's forum and the new DLC liaison site at www.mistambassy.net slash DLC liaison slash. The town hall meetings will be held over several days each month at different times of the day in different hoods. In April, the meetings were held on the 26th. These meetings allow explorers to ask questions about the topic fixed for the meeting. Schedules are available on the DLC liaison site and the next meeting will be with Sian employers on the 12th of May with the topic Funding and the Future at 9am and 9pm Carven time. The return of EuroLive was announced on the evening of the 8th of May, a new site having been set up by Sian on www.eurolive.com. Everyone rushed there to register to be a beta tester, and we crashed a site that was down for many hours. Mock confirmed that Eurolive will be released for everyone around the world at the same time, that Eurolive will exist with Turner just as GameTab does, and that there will be a relationship but not necessarily any dependencies between the two. Sian is not sure yet of what will happen with Antiluru, but it could be transitioned into player-created content somehow. Hello again, this is Janathus, and today I'm here talking with Rax. He's going to tell us about the Volcano Project. So is Rax. Would you care to describe the Volcano Project to the listeners? Also, could you tell us why they call the Volcano Project? Sure. The Volcano Project is... Basically, it's a way for clients to be able to see new content within the existing Until Uru game. And of course, the reason it's called the Volcano Project, it's kind of a funny story actually. When we first started up the Desert Shard, I had a couple of development projects that we uh, had some private forums for for development. And I had a section for that called Inside the Volcano, because, you know, in the desert in the game, there's a big volcano, so it seemed like a good place to put, you know, private projects inside the volcano. And so, of course, when the Volcano Project came about, it seemed obvious that it would go in that section, and so, for lack of a better name, we eventually just called it the Volcano Project. Mostly as a code name at first, but then it just kind of caught on. Nothing to, to say that it's uh, dangerous or unpredictable, right? <laughs> I guess you could say that. <laughs> so, can you uh, comment on how long the project has been in development and what the inspiration was for its start? Hmm. Well, it must have been at least nine months ago when we started. Basically, you know, there was just a few of us wandering around the cavern. We were thinking, you know, since the DRC isn't really around here much anymore, we might as well see what we can do about improving this a little, or adding some things, maybe some new content, and so we just, you know, we started looking at the game engine and what we could do with it, and started going from there. And of course, as time went on, we saw more from the fan content creation side, you know, the Blender plugin got released, and so of course we jumped on that bandwagon and started looking into adding fan-made content as well, and like I say, we just kind of took off from there, anything that we 
saw a way to add, we decided why not put it in the Volcano project. You mentioned the the Blender plugin. Was that key to getting the Volcano project started altogether, or? Well, really, we started uh, thinking about the Volcano project before the Blender plugin okay. had ever been publicly released. And in fact, uh, originally, one of the biggest things we were looking at was the Path of the Shell content. You know, bringing bringing that into the game. Um, and then when, like I say, when the Blender plugin actually got released. We just, we kind of added that to our possible list of things we could do with the Volcano Project. I see. So on your forums, you mentioned the uh, phases one and two. Can you go into what those phases are? Yeah. Um, like I say, since we originally had this only as like a single project, and then the fan content came in, well, we, we started seeing a break between the Cayenne-made content and the fan-made content. And especially when Kyan started taking more of an interest in Uru again more recently, uh, with Damala and all that, we realized it was going to be um, quite a bit not only more technically difficult, since you know obviously we can't distribute the Path of the Shell content or anything; it has to be gotten from the client. And then legally, also of course, we decided it would be a good idea to get permission separately for the Path of the Shell content. So we just named anything that was from Cayenne's content, Phase 2, and anything that was fan-made content into Phase 1. On your forums, you said, quote, for the legal side, we've left ourselves open to allow very easy control over the issues at hand, end quote. Can you comment on what that means and any possible effects that might have on the timetable? And is that Phase 2? Partly that is Phase 2, but in general, it just means that we've left it so that you can, you know, shard owners can easily turn on and off the various additions so that, you know, for example, if somebody gets their legal permission, all we, ha- all we really have to do is throw the content on there and add a single, you know, turn the age on or whatever. And the same thing for the path of the shell content. You know, you just there's a config option in the vault. You just turn that on, and it's it's enabled. So it's really easy for, you know, just turning turning on and off any any content for that. Really easy for a Windows user, or really easy for a server admin. Well, the the client won't really the user won't really. Uh, notice anything at all. All they'll, all they'll see is they go to, you know, a volcano shard, and there'll be an age there, there won't. And I see. Can you guesstimate a possible date for the release for the patcher? Yeah, we're basically ready, pretty much ready right now. We're just basically waiting on Cayenne's permission to release the volcano project, and as soon as that's ready, I mean, we can probably have it released within a week of that date, maybe less. Are there any shards that are definitely looking to implement the Volcano Client when it's ready? Uh, yeah. So far we've got uh, at least two clients that are, or two shards that are set up from members of the Volcano team, one, of course, being the Desert Shard. And then beyond that, I know we've got at least four or five shards that have expressed an interest in becoming Volcano-enabled once we release the project... A lot of shards, I think, 
probably even more once we release it. Okay. And what are the system requirements for the Volcano client? Uh, will this be the kind of Until Uru mod that will require a whole separate Until Uru installation? The requirements will be about the same that they will for any other Until Uru client, because, of course, we're using the Until Uru client basically unmodified. However, we, of course, the patcher will by default create a new installation for you based off of your existing one. And the reason, even though we've got it set up so that it basically can be compatible with any other shard or any client, for phase one at least, because phase two, of course, is going to require some modifications for Path of the Shell stuff to work. But we, of course, don't want anyone to accidentally take their client onto a non-volcano-enabled shard and get accused of hacking, and all of a sudden they're banned from everything, and it's all our fault. And Yeah, bad mess. Yeah. <laughs> well, on, uh, I think, actually, we've heard it from Grey Dragon uh, and... Rand himself, that Cyan wishes to be accommodating the fan main content. Have you put any consideration into how that added content might integrate into the Uru storyline, or at least part of Uru in the long run? Uh, yeah, we've... It's something we've been following pretty closely, actually. But since we don't really know what Cyan has in mind at this point, <laughs> it's kind of hard to work in with their plans. Of course, we're very interested in anything that they have to do with fan-made content, and it's also one of our biggest goals. But until we know more of what they're wanting, either from us or with fan-made content in general, the best we can really do at this point is just to keep you know, seeing what they're going to be doing and keep going with what we're doing and hope it works together in the long run. For storyline, of course, we've got our, we've got a bit of a storyline set up, and that's, in, in fact, how we're going to introduce the volcano client, if we can, and we we've left it to be unobtrusive into the Antiluru storyline itself, but we're just gonna, like I say, just have to see what Kyan has in mind and work off of that. Actually, it sounds like you know we have to see what you have in mind. It sounds exciting to be a part of it. <laughs> There is a. I know there's more than one mod for Until Uru, but I'm only very aware of the Fly Mode mod, and uh, that Fly Mode mod was also applied to Mist 5 by some people. Um, that suggests that porting content mods from one Plasma engine to the other is not impossible. If the future of Until Uru includes an updated client and or engine, do you foresee the possibility of keeping up with these advances? Quite likely. Of course, we've been following their update uh, recently with the, the Damala shard and all that, with the new... There was some updates recently, and we just copied that over as soon as it worked. If they get far enough to actually creating a new client or engine, well, of course, then it'll be a little more interesting to see. We're, of course, hoping that we, that everything that we do will still be compatible and and or portable to their new to whatever they come up with. But, again, we're just going to have to see what they do. We're going to, of course, take what we can as far as we can, or as far as they let us, and if it gets to the point where Volcano can no longer work, 
and that's where we see if we can either branch off in our own direction or try to find something new to do, or I guess it depends at that point. Yeah, so many questions left unanswered, you know. Mm-hmm. Is, will it still be called Uru? Is, what are they going to do? And it's hard to think of the future because you have no idea what they're really thinking about doing. Maybe they exactly. even haven't decided. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier about making things easy for the player to access this content. So let's talk about the player-level interaction. How will this be extremely easier for players to access the content, and can you describe what will be involved for a player to actually do it? Well, originally, our idea was to have a sort of hub age that was specific to the Volcano storyline, and you would go to this, and you'd be able to get information about any of the added ages or new content or anything like that. But then, of course, Cayenne kind of gave the no-no on the idea of hub ages, so for now what we have is just a book in your Relto shelf, kind of like the way that the Uru Age Manager does it, and you can just go into there, uh, open up the book, you can read descriptions about the ages, and then link to them. To the client, it's pretty straightforward and pretty easy. You just go in there, find the age you want to go to, just like any other age, link in. You require the patcher for your Until Uru installation, and you have to log into a, a volcano Until Uru shard, and then you have access to the content, be whatever it is, right? Right. Okay. And of course, the the book itself is actually controlled by the server. So, for example, if a server does not have one of the ages or something, then the book won't even list that age so that you don't accidentally go to that age and end up corrupting the server. I see. Well, at this point, I'm out of questions, so if you have anything you would like to say about the volcano or what have you, now's your time. All right. The other interesting thing that we've been working on, and this, we haven't really been working on it very, very hard yet. It'll probably be in more active development after we release Phase 1, assuming, of course, we get permission to release it, is sort of a volcano portal. And that'll be, it'll be on the Volcano server. And what it'll be is a way for shard owners and content developers to easily go in and modify their content, or in the case of shard owners, the available content. You know, so shard owners can just go in there, download the files they need for their shard, and make a little update saying that, you know, their shard supports this given content. And the content developers can go in, they can, you know, add new ages, update their ages, or any other content they have for that matter. And it'll just be a really, really straightforward, automated way to keep everything together so that, you know, the volcano people aren't spending their entire lives trying to (laughs) get everything together. That's good. And I think that'll be really easy to use and powerful when it's ready. Well, that's all I have for now, and I thank you for joining us today, Zrax, and uh, good luck with Volcano, and I look forward to downloading the patcher when it's ready. Thanks. And I'll talk to you later. Alright. And this is Janathus for The Cavern Today, signing off.
with that jazzy little number and the approach of a peculiar little spaceship, we enter the world of Cosmic Osmo. In our last review, we discussed Cyan's first commercial product, the manhole. Cosmic Osmo expanded on that theme by providing four whimsical planets to visit, all via Osmo's rocket, the Osmobile. Osmo originally shipped on five diskettes, but it was later re-released on CD in an expanded version entitled Cosmic Osmo and the Worlds Beyond the Mackerel, which added three new worlds to the original four. Osmo was illustrated by Robin Miller, who also composed and performed much of the music along with Shep Lovick. His brother Rand was responsible for programming and scripting, as well as providing Osmo's voice. Hello, alien! Welcome to Planet... uh, whatever... My name is Osmo! (laughs) Yes, that was Rand. We'll hear more from him later. He provided the voice for Osmo, a lovable, pot-bellied little alien with enormous feet and a nose that honked when you pressed it. (coughs) Similar to the manhole, Osmo was Macintosh-only, black and white, and it was designed to fit the 9-inch screen of the original Macs. As such, if you run Osmo today, you'll notice that it looks rather lost, running in a tiny little window in the center of your monitor. All the same, the original charm is still there. The graphics are playful, the music and sounds are very good, and the game is still entertaining, 17 years after its original release. I very much enjoy returning to these early Cyan games, because not only do they offer a fascinating look at the development curve that Cyan was following at the time, It's also very interesting to view these games as preludes to the Myst saga that was eventually to dominate Cyan's future. Even more so than the manhole, Osmo gives us a hint of what was to come. Let's look at some of the parallels. I mentioned the Osmobile. This hilarious little rocket ship was the hub of your travels, serving a function much like Myst Island in Myst or Relto in Uru. Its instrument panel was furnished with a clever assortment of interactive controls, but the most important ones were a cluster of four buttons, or seven in the CD version, that you would use to pick your destination. Clicking on one of the buttons started you on a flight to one of the planets in the Osmoian system. Think of these buttons as the books on your Relto shelf, and you get the idea. Not only could you return to the Osmobile to journey to the other planets, but several of these worlds contained links directly to the other worlds, allowing you to bypass the Osmobile if you desired. You are the busiest alien to ever romp around our humble solar system. And it was easy to stay busy. Each of the planets provided a wealth of activities, ranging from simple click-to-hear-the-funny-sound items to more involved tasks such as a diary, an easel with artist tools, and games within games. These latter were fine examples of Cyan's sense of humor. Two of these games were depicted as arcade game consoles. Chip Ship Lander let you land a tiny spaceship on a pad by controlling the thrust, and changing a microchip in the console's innards determined the appearance of the ship. Another game, Rubber Gut, was a bit different. You use your mouse to slide a recumbent figure of Osmo back and forth across the bottom of the screen, using his ample belly to bounce a smaller Osmo up to the waiting Osmobile. And then there was Blitzlifters, a game of chance and strategy that you played with an in-game character, Professor Elvis Osmostein. It may be a stretch to equate these games to the heat table in Uru, but they still provided a diversion from your mission, such as it was. Perhaps more significant, at least to Mist fans, was the fact that several of these activities would trigger unexpected changes elsewhere in the game. 
This concept would play heavily into the puzzles that we were to see later in the Myst games, but in Osmo, it was all in good fun and provided some pleasant surprises. For example, typing on the secretary's typewriter in the leader's office and then ejecting the paper would cause that text to appear in a book on Osmo's bookshelf far away on the mackerel planet. And yes, that planet was an enormous fish. Holy mackerel! Take a look at this! Likewise, drawing a picture on the artist easel found in another part of the game would cause that picture to appear in a frame over the fireplace in Osmo's study. In another place, you could change the wallpaper pattern in a room by playing with pixels elsewhere. Silly fun, yes, but it was the precursor of such intriguing puzzles as the Mist Island tower rotation, marker switches, the mechanical age lock. Just the beginning, really. This idea, once developed, was to provide the basis for most of our challenges throughout the entire Mist series that followed. Okay, cyan trivia time. Some of you Mist avids may have come across a strange little word in the Mist forums from time to time. I quote, Woba. And that's spelled W-O-H-B-A. It's kind of a generic exclamation, much like wow, as used by Mist insiders. This word actually originated in Osmo. One of the planets in the Osmoian system has a number of buildings on it, and in one of those structures you encounter an Osmo dressed, for some reason, as a South Pacific Islander. And clicking on him elicits the following response, along with a dialogue balloon. The first two syllables became the woba used ever since by scientists and mist fans to express surprise and amazement. And now you know. I encountered other examples of the old cyan whimsy. For example, I found a pile of lettered blocks in Osmo that could be rearranged to spell words. And when you first discover those blocks, there are four at the center of the bunch that spell Rawa, which is, of course, the well-known nickname of Richard A. Watson of Cyan, also known as Dr. Watson of the DRC in Uru. The two pictures in Osmo study depict the rabbit from the manhole and Professor Spelunks from that game. And looking ahead a bit, some of you may remember one of Atrus's journals in his Mist Island library, in which he mentions a trip to the Osmoian Age. Yes, these games were definitely related. And oh yes, that typewriter in Osmo's leader's office carries the brand name Miller. I have to say that it really is too bad that the earlier Cyan titles are no longer available, because they provide a very interesting counterpart to the later and better-known adventures. Simple as they are, they still offer a vivid glimpse of Cyan in the early days, when Rand and Robin Miller, et al., were first getting a handle on the art of world-building, and when they were learning what it took to make those worlds fascinating. In closing, I couldn't resist including the following audio bit. Uh, we're all familiar with Rand Miller's portrayal of Atris in the Mist series. Burdened, driven Atris, deadly serious, and consumed with an obsession to rescue his wife, to restore the Dunny civilization or to atone for the evils of his sons, and so forth. Well, there's another side to Rand. Among the gadgets in the Osmobile's instrument panel is a CD player, and one of those CDs provides us with a glimpse of Rand's musical side. So without further ado... Here's a little song my mama used to sing to me. Honk, honk, little Osmo nose, go to sleep now or tickle your toes. You should be sleepy because you see you walked around the galaxy.
You sailed on the sea and you talked with the mouse. You fed a dog a bone and you climbed a tree house. Go to sleep now if there's any way you can. Cause tomorrow when you wake up you can play the game again. Cosmic Osmo was a real favorite in our household. It was Osmo that introduced our two-year-old son to the world of computers and showed him that technology could be a lot of fun. I'm sure that it provided a similar thrill for many other kids and grown-ups around the world, and it's been a treat to share it with you today. That brings us to the end of this installment of our Cyan Games Retrospective. In our next segment, we'll talk about Spelunks and the Caves of Mr. Sudo, Cyan's final game before Mist. Stay tuned. For the Cavern Today, this is Mowog signing off. The sun shone brightly in the unknown age that Tyon had linked it to only moments before. It was a beautiful age, and the linking point was breathtaking. As he linked in, he could see a path that was made out of crystals. As the sun shone down on the path, it looked as if it was magical. The beauty of the path was a wonder in itself. It reflected all the colors of the spectrum. Tyon couldn't believe that he was standing in an age that was over 15,000 years old. It looked as if it was newly written, and it also looked as if it outdid near writing, which it did, for this was not a knee age. As Tyon walked up to the top of the hill, he gazed out at what he saw, and all seemed to suddenly stand still as he did, for what he saw shocked and horrified him. I remember the day I found the lost ruins of the mystics. It looked as if the buildings were as new as a newly written age. But then, their race had been skilled in the art for millennia, much longer than the Dini or the Tirani. But they were not related to the Dini or the Tirani in any way. They were truly another race who knew the art. As I walked down the shimmering path into the city, it felt as if I was entering paradise. Hyronic. According to Catherine's journals, that's how Atris and their group felt upon entering Tirani. Ahead of me, the main path split into five roads. I decided to take the middle road, and if I could, I would come back later and explore the other paths. As I continued down the path, I saw that it ended at a large building that appeared to be a temple of some kind. I saw that at the end of the path was a large piece of crystalline ground, and then I saw something that surprised me. It was a reflection, and in this reflection was the temple. But it wasn't shimmering. It looked old and in decay. When I returned my gaze to the temple itself, it looked like the reflection, but only for a moment, for when my eyes blinked, it was normal again. that? Why did I see that reflection? Okay, I hope this works. <laughs> if I wasn't standing next to the door, I would have fallen to the ground. For when I looked inside the temple, I saw a room so beautiful that right then I knew no Dini writer could have created it. Within the room hung a massive symbol, and to my great surprise, I found I could read it. 
the words read, Seal of Courage. Below that title was a paragraph that read as follows. The Seal of Courage, the Seal of Fire, hidden within the great tree spire. The burdened path, the burdened fight, to reach journey's end that holds the light. But within the shadows lies the temptations and inclinations of those who find power to be the true way, and the way of the future and peace to be the way of the past. Learn well, journeyer, for this is your only warning. As I finished reading the final part of that message, I stepped up to the pedestal and picked up a key-like device along with a shimmering crystal which appeared to fit into the top of the device. Since I had left my dinny key in Ralto, I could easily put the device on the hand where I'd usually wear my garrison key. Also, on the pedestal lay a single book bearing the same symbol that I'd seen on the wall. I opened it and found it to be an empty journal book. I placed it where my Ralto linking book would have been, for I also left the link to my home back where I'd come from. As soon as I had done all this, I proceeded into the next chamber. And again, for some reason, I saw a reflecting floor in which I saw the reflection of a ruined temple. And then, like before, it vanished. This time it was more clear. Why did I see that reflection? Could it be that this is an illusion of what is truly there? The people of the past, the people of the future, the lost journeys and the lost histories, the lost lessons and lost paths, all once traveled by the people known as the mystics. I remember linking into the age where they had once resided. The beauty had faded. It was barren and cold. The grass on the path leading up to the city was all brown. The path itself was cracked, and no light or color shined from it. The sky was shrouded in clouds, and the smell of decay was everywhere. When I reached the top of the hill, all that could be seen were buildings, some still standing, and some reduced to rubble. It was a place of sadness, and if you looked long enough, you would weep, for this was not what they deserved. As I walked down into the ruined city, I saw there were five broken paths. I decided to take the middle road. I simply felt that I should for some reason. At the end of the path stood a broken and barren-looking building. But though it was, you could still tell it was a temple of some kind. Upon entering the building I saw in ruin, you could tell that this was indeed a temple, for the old musty walls had text all over them and cracked pedestals. But something happened that surprised me. As I looked at the wall, I thought for an instant that I saw a room that shimmered with beauty. But as my eyes blinked, it returned to the musty, cracked, and ruined temple that it was. Still, I wondered why I had seen such a thing. What? My head must be playing games with me. I proceeded to enter the next room. The doors were cracked and had fallen off their hinges. Inside the room, I could see that the walls had once writings on them, but like all things that decay, they had faded away. But then I saw something on an old pedestal that looked as if it was newly made. It was some kind of device that looked like a Dene key, 
and by it lay a crystal which fit into the top. As I put it on, I remembered my old and neat days exploring new areas and taking key photos. Of course, when I began this journey, I had to leave my Relto book and key behind. Or to take this journey, you must leave behind those things which connect you to the place of the proud. The rooms were so old and decayed, yet I could sense something. I don't know what, but I felt something pulling me deeper into the ruins of this place. As I walked through room after room, I saw bits and pieces of old writings. I saw drawings of stories long forgotten by time. It was all so fragmented that I wondered why I had been linked here. My journeys in Denis were over, and I knew that I must follow this other path. Something called me to it. I have been a follower of the grower since my coming to Denis, and I have learned the lessons of pride, greed, and power. I have also learned wisdom, courage, and knowledge, for those three qualities are the most treasured. I believe that when we take our next step, we open a part of ourselves that we have never explored, a part of ourselves we've never touched, a part of ourselves that will remain with us for the rest of our lives. For this is the way of things, and the way of a journeyer. The journey of life is a story in itself. It is full of choices and decisions. I reached a room at the far end with some text that was still clear enough to read. It read, The Seal of Wisdom. Under that was a large amount of smaller text that read as follows. The seal of wisdom lies in the heart, a journey of faith and pain, but the wisdom you will gain will keep you from shame. It will help you to make the decisions of the past and help you to guide the one of courage. He will be the last. But within this burden lies a price. Will you accept it and learn the wisdom of the past, age journeyer? Wisdom of the Past Wisdom is one of the best things you can carry through the journey of life. Like courage, it will help to guide you. The one who travels this burden path will gain wisdom. I knew this was what I was meant to do. I can't explain how, but something inside me called me to this place and to this path. But in my mind I wondered... What was the price of traveling this road? The burden of this path was a mystery. Would I be able to carry it? Would I be able to make the hard choice and continue forward? Or would I falter and fail? I did not know. But that is the way of things. If we knew what our next step was going to be, we would never grow. We would not learn. We would not gain. For life is a journey with hidden choices and decisions, and that is how it should be. This temple must have been a place of history, as well as a place of wisdom and courage. For the rooms told stories of people and places, legends and wars, growings and returnings. This culture was what the Dini and the Tarani should have aspired to be. For this race struggled with all they did, but they managed to overcome it and grow. I continued and entered the next area of the temple, which was
was a large circular crystalline room with symbols all around the walls. This was not only the next room, but the last one. I had reached the final chamber of the shimmering temple. There was but one door at the end of the chamber. It would not open, but it had some text on it which read, Beyond this door lies the reflection of the future and the reflection of the past. But when you look into this door, you will see what could be and what has been. Age Junior, learn well, for what you see will show you what you must either prevent or protect. Then it all made sense. The decayed version of the temple was resonating from this door. If I was right, when I opened it, I would see the decayed version of this world. Going on this hypothesis, I looked for a way to open the door, and I saw what looked like a lock of some kind, and then realized that it looked just like the key device I wore on my hand. So I placed the device in the slot, and sure enough, the door opened. Darkness. It shrouds everything. Darkness alone is what lay deeper in the ruins of the temple. There was little light, but when I reached a room that was completely without light, I found that the key device began to glow, and it lit some of the decayed symbols that provided a path for me as I traveled deeper into the temple. When I reached that final room, there must have been a few hundred symbols all glowing, for when I reached the door of this room, I saw light suddenly begin to shine from under the door, and when I opened it, I saw the shimmering brilliance of a decayed room and a single door that had unfaded text on it, which read as follows. Beyond this door lies what once was or what could be. When you look upon what you see, take the wisdom it holds and treasure it, for this is one of the first lessons in your journey. I looked around for a way to open the door. I saw that at almost the very top of the door was a strange-looking lock, and then it hit me. It looked just like the crystal that I had put into the key device. So I placed the device into the slot, and the door opened. At this point, it would have been normal for Tyon and Len to write down what they saw, but that was not easy. Suffice it to say that what each of them saw was, well, the opposite of what the others saw. For Len saw a shimmering room of light and beauty, while Tyon saw a decayed, broken and cracked room with no beauty whatsoever. Each of them experienced very different emotions. Tyon felt sadness at what his eyes saw, for he knew that it was the same place he stood in. Len felt a great sense of wonder for what she saw, a world of beauty and light. Then, something that was very strange to both occurred. They saw the faded image of a person standing in front of the door, and at first they thought it could be themselves. But then, the image became just visible enough to show that it wasn't them at all. As the image became clearer, they were very surprised to see another age owner. But this wasn't like a normal image, it was more like looking at a wavy reflection as if in water. 
Tayun and Lange stood and stared, each trying to ponder who the other was, or whether even what they seemed to be. It could be a deception. I've seen many things in my life, and now I can add this to the list. A reflection of another age journey, a girl who looks to be my age. I wonder about this place. It is unlike any age I've ever been to, although it does remind me of Kadish and the way he fooled everyone into thinking he could travel through time in Hanane. But this was not like that. It was real. What a thought. Not a fake age, not a fake sphere, but a true reflection. But then did the mystics have this ability? This is well beyond any Dini written age. But then there is this reflection of a young man. Is he real or merely part of the reflection? From what I can see, he is a follower of Yisha, and he wears a key like mine. What is the next step, I wonder? What should I do next? How would I communicate with this girl? Or could I even do that? Was this real or just an illusion? As you learn more by traveling, you learn to become more open to a lot of new possibilities. And you also learn to be more cautious. These are good traits to have. In this case, which would you decide to exercise? I kept thinking of what to do next, and really the answer was right under my nose. As I stood there looking, my key device began to glow a bright orange, and at the same time I noticed that the girl had one as well, and it began to glow a bright pinkish color. Suddenly, the wavy image vanished, and the door closed. Was that it? Was I meant to only see a world of beauty and a stranger, and then at the crucial point be cut off? If there is one thing I've learned about myself in those moments, it is that I will always wonder. So I did what any other person would do who can't tolerate the unknown. I began to look for another way to open the door. Putting my key in the lock didn't work. So how could I reopen a locked door? I realized I had explored every room in this temple, but not this one. I'd only seen the symbols and the door. But what else lies in this room? I began looking, and sure enough I found something. It was another crystal that, like the first, fit in the slot in the key device. Was it really that simple? I would soon find out. I approached the door once again and placed my hand in the door. But then something happened that I did not expect. I suddenly found myself in the same room where I had previously stood, but it did not shine nor look as that reflected world had. It was like a present-day version of this world. Then again I saw him, the guy in the reflection, but he was solid and not transparent. I still said nothing, but I saw that her key device was still glowing its pinkish color. His key device still glowed the orange color as before. I wondered why. And then it hit me. Could we be in a dreamlike state of some kind, or were we truly standing in a third version of the age? 
I looked around and saw that where I had stood the symbol of the seal of wisdom and then I saw that where he stood there was a symbol of another seal but for some reason I couldn't read what it was then I saw that there was a third symbol and like her symbol I could not understand what it said so did that mean there was a third person it made the most sense so the only question was where was he or she I tried to move or speak but I found that I couldn't I think I knew why it was the keys they were holding us here and would keep us here until the one who held the third seal arrived but how long would that be would we be trapped like this until then suddenly like a flash the room became real as if you were really there and then i found that i could move and that my key device stopped glowing i guess my theory was wrong it was an interesting feeling being in this third version of the strange age the young girl and i stood in front of one another trying to guess what the other would say it was a very long awkward moment like before neither of us spoke because neither of us knew what to say but that is one of the things you must learn to expect expect the unexpected that's one of the lessons you should take with you throughout your journey after a few more minutes of awkward silence i finally decided to break the ice it was either stare at one another or learn about one another She broke the silence and asked me the first question you would ask anyone in this circumstance. Who are you? Naturally, I responded with the same. I asked her who she was and she replied, "I am a journeyer of ages from a place I have left behind." She was from Denis, that was obvious, but I wasn't sure until she spoke those words. For only those who have traveled and learned the lessons once taught would say such a thing. to a journeyer of ages from that place that home and i welcome your presence it's nice to have a fellow journeyer of ages on a similar path what is your name if i may ask i am tyon my name is len it's nice to meet you len hello again this is mo wag for the cavern today joined this time by tyon Hello everybody. Yes, hello. This is going to be a cavern today first. It's just and uh, extemporaneous, which is a fantastic word. Extemporaneous improvised chat. And what we're going to do is talk a little bit about the history of the cavern today, some of our experiences as we've built these podcasts from scratch, some of the funny stories and uh simply some of the things that have happened, you know, some of the things we've had in mind when we've built the podcasts. Uh Ty any observations as we start well i have to say that um in podcast 1 oh i remember our first jotc recording i think a lot of us remember that you know try though oh we might gosh. to forget it yeah we learned a lot about uh sound quality and about the various techniques of recording and what applications work well and what applications don't our um uh, If any of you remember as far back as podcast 1 our uh intent with Journey of the Called was to do it as a collaborative effort where we would all act while in a conference call on TeamSpeak and Ty perhaps you'd like to to fill in the gory details 
Well, back then we didn't have the oh wondrous Skype or Audacity program <laughs> that we use now. We were there, but we didn't know about them. Yeah. Oh, I will say the problem we're with slow teams, learners. Yeah. Yeah. The problem with TeamSpeak was is that we had to hit the tap key just to record our voice, have our voices sound up, and and then if you didn't close it soon enough, it would echo, and it was just horrible. I mean, the first JFTC, I actually still have that recording on my computer, <laughs> and I must say, back then, I sounded like I was walking on a cloud. I swear, mm-hmm. I was just... And we sounded so horrible. <laughs> yeah. It really, well, really, it was. Like, our intent from the beginning was to make the uh, dramatic serial Journey of the Cult sound like a spontaneous stage production or a radio play from the good old days. And what we ran into was the simple fact that the tools we'd pick you know, simply couldn't handle it. As Ty said, when we tried to record a collaborative piece like that in TeamSpeak, we ran into so many um, uh, echoes and feedbacks and loops and it turned out that the best way that we could find to avoid those was to avoid any overlap of our voices. So that kind of took away the spontaneity of the dialogue. And it meant that we had to watch each other's channel lights and team speak and wait for their light to go off before we could speak. And as such, it really did sound wretched. And we knew it, and we sent it out anyway because we had promised to have you know a podcast one out by a certain date. And we didn't want to send it out as it was, but we really didn't have a choice. <laughs> But it should be pointed you, out. Yeah, go ahead. If you guys have never listened to Podcast One and just gotten to our podcast and its later ones, go back and listen to Podcast One because that thing, JOTC episode one, is on it. We re-recorded it eventually. And, I was going to um, say, yeah. Yeah, we did that in a marathon in, oh, what podcast was it? It was five. Yeah, so yeah. you can go back to one and listen to it as it originally was, or go back or listen to podcast five and hear it as it was meant to originally be heard. Yeah, in fact, it was as we were. Uh, I think it was as we were recording episode four, and we're getting ready to assemble the first four. Ep- okay, the first four episodes. Yeah, as a retrospective in podcast five that I suggested. What's to keep us from doing one again? Because I really want to do that one justice. It was a pretty good script, and uh, I'd like to have we, it sound like we. <laughs> we like must we really have done it a million times, Mog. I yeah. mean, how many times did we rehearse that before we actually recorded it? Yeah, well, it's a good point you bring up to the listeners out there. It may not sound like it, but we really do rehearse Journey of the Cult before we <laughs> perform it. Uh, the uh, a typical Journey of the Cult session. Starts off with a uh, raw script that Ty writes up. Ty writes the stories and sends me the script. And I edit the script and kind of clean them up for the actors. And then I send the edited script back to Ty. He then distributes it to all of the actors for that particular episode. And we choose a time uh, when we can all get together. And something we're finding out is that the more of us there are in a cast, the trickier it is to get everybody together at one time. Because uh, the odds of finding people from like you know four or five different time zones, all free at one particular time to record Journey of the Cult, uh, it's kind of tricky. And I mean, when Zam records our narrations, uh, she lives in France, you know, so she has to do those separately. 
and even in some of the later Journey of the Called episodes, some of the voices were recorded separately simply because we couldn't all get together at one time. Yes, um, particularly you know. in season two, that yeah. will take place because as you guys hear season two, you're going to be introduced to many new characters. And mm-hmm. originally we started out with just Moak, uh, Moiti Jean, and myself, which mm-hmm. was a pretty easy cast to get together with. And now we've got a ton of new actors, uh-huh. and I hope you guys will enjoy the story. Um, I will say this about the first two episodes. They're not like uh, normal JOTC um, re- uh, episodes. Uh, they're more of a retrospective from Tyon's and a new character's point of view. Yeah. So if you think that's how JOTC is always going to sound, do not worry. It's <laughs> just for the first two episodes, but you'll, you'll get it after yeah. it's done. It starts off slow, but trust me, it gets better. Yeah. And one of the things that should be pointed out, too, is season one uh, was originally intended to have four actors because there were four characters, and ideally there should be a direct correlation. As it turned out, one of our actors couldn't make it, and that is how I ended up doing the parts of Kural and Jeff. It's been a challenge all along, especially when Jeff and Kural argue with each other. I kind of go around with a nervous twitch in one eye after <laughs> after arguing with myself like that, but it's... An interesting challenge, and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, he enjoys being Kural, I'll tell you guys that. Yeah. And we can't say enough about our assemblers who actually put together all the parts into Journey of the Called. They have to take all of the of the parts that we record individually and send up to the, the Cavern FTP server. They put those voices together to make them sound like a natural conversation, and then they add the sound effects and the music. Season 1 was all prepared by Moiety Jean, and our most recent episodes are being assembled by Donahue, and we thank her very much for that. It's a tough job. There are <laughs> a lot of factors that go into making Journey of the Call sound like it does, and she has picked up the reins from Moiety Jean and is doing a great job. It was definitely interesting to see what Jean came up with in Season 1, and I have to say she did a tremendously good job. I mean, those sounded so professional and good. She got the sound effects perfect. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be said that when we heard episode two for the first time, we were simply blown away. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. We've already talked about the first one in TeamSpeak. The second one we did in Skype and recorded individually, and when Jean finished assembling it and we heard it, we just had no idea that it could sound that good. She did the all the sound effects, you know, the footsteps, and doors opening. She added some reverb for scenes inside the cavern. I mean, she really did a full production number on it, and it just blew us away. And everyone after that simply outdid the previous one. In fact, I think it was the amount of time it was taking. <laughs> that was one of the factors that kind of discouraged Gene from continuing. Because it really is a huge effort. And I know Donna, who is finding that out, and is, again, has taken over in fine style. I have to say, uh, for the last episode, as many of you know, it used Riven music. And I I thought Donahue was, that was cool. Okay, what better way to end season one with that music? I mean, it fit the occasion. It was perfect. Yeah, yeah. Kind of mystical, I think. Well, so let's move on from uh, Journey of the Called into, uh, into the cavern today on the whole. I'll continue on, I suppose, talking about the the tools and techniques. It was quite a challenge also... Uh, to come to a good agreement on the on the proper tools to do the interviews. And uh, 
I must say that as the perpetrator of several of the interviews, it's been a huge thrill. We uh, spoke first to several, uh, to some shard admins like uh, Eric L. of Tapestry. We spoke with um, Reverend Vader. spoke with Ashtar, and unfortunately that one didn't air because other events overcame it. But then we had the chance to speak to four of... Are you sure it didn't air? I thought it did. No, Ashtar never played. Oh. It kind of got put off and put off, and then a Damala opened, and it kind of uh, wasn't really relevant anymore. (laughs) Maybe we'll put it in some kind of a retrospective someday. Yeah. Uh, But in the same way that it took us a little bit to come up to speed on on quality with Journey of the Cult, it was basically the same effort with the interviews. Uh, What we found out was that Skype is an excellent conversation tool, and the sound quality is just really, really good, as you can hear in this one. But at first, we didn't realize that there were any kind of recording plugins for Skype. And Skype, just right out of the box, does not incorporate a recording tool. And so we had to use a third-party recording package like Audacity or something like that. And there was the rub. Windows PCs, which most of us run, with the conventional sound chips on the motherboard setup, etc., only will record one audio source at a time. And so if Ty and I, for example, were sitting here chatting and we each had Audacity going and trying to record the conversation, it would only pick up our voices coming over our microphone and not the other person's voice. And it turned into a real head-scratcher because we were trying to find different combinations to be able to record interviews and not make our guests record their own voices and upload them to our server, etc. One of the funny stories... It's funny now, I... uh, had a nice 35-minute chat with Ryan Miller at Cyan, and uh, it really, really went very well. And so we finished, you know, a half-hour conversation. And I said to him after we, after I turned off the record button, I said, oh, "Okay, great, that's a wrap." Now, uh, did Supergram explain to you the process by which you'll need to upload your track to our FTP server? And he said, "Oh, was I supposed to be recording?" And so uh, <laughs> that's when we learned that. Oh no. <laughs> That's the truth. Uh, he didn't understand that he had to record, too. But uh, So we started over and did the whole thing again. It didn't lose much. It was still spontaneous and fresh. In fact, we talked about some other things we didn't think of the first time. And he recorded his side on his iMac. And the interesting thing is Apple computers do indeed pick up both parties in a Skype conversation. And so the audio that you heard for the Ryan Miller interview, as well as for the Rand Miller interview that came later... Uh, came off of their iMacs because, you know, the Apple machines pick up both tracks, whereas Windows don't. And this really isn't an advertisement. It's just a statement of fact. We learned about that. Now, in the meantime, I think it was JW of our own Cavern staff happened to do a search and uh, came across a plug-in for Skype called PowerGramo. And it is a recording plug-in for Skype, essentially, that provides uh, a pretty decent recording capability that does capture all the voices in a Skype conversation or a Skype conference call. And so that's what we used for the Joshua Staub interview in our last full podcast. And you could easily tell the difference uh, between that one and the previous conversations, previous interviews, because it just was really clear all the way through. And that's what we're using for this conversation. So even if what we say isn't very clear, at least the recording is, (laughs) that's just us. Well, I must say, we've had a lot of JOTC and a lot of interviews. Mm-hmm. And then we have one of the things that all of you probably crack up at. We have Tyon and Millicuddy. 
which is the humorous part of the show. We don't crack up. We just assume that you have. I mean, <laughs> uh, they really are a lot of fun. And it's, I know sometimes we, I must confess that I kind of cringe when I hear things like that because we're thinking, you know, this is Denis, this is Mist, this is Uru. What are these comedy bits doing in there? But we found out that it really is possible to incorporate some of our own humorous contributions into the Mist community, you know, coverage, into the things we do. And uh, it just adds to the multi the multi-layered flavor of of the cavern today. Malak, do you remember when Madge first came to the cavern today? She was a receptionist. Yes, yes. In fact, yeah, you were the one who... Yeah. And Ruby had to fire her due to... Um, I don't know if this was announced, but it was because she was smoking. Yes, yeah, smoking in the cavern, in the Baron's office. Inexcusable. Madge, Madge has serious issues, but of course you all know that because, yeah, somehow my visit to Dr. Bora got leaked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I don't if know who ever, that was. Yeah. <laughs> if you've ever been in the cabin in the Dakota Plaza and have looked up at the top of the Guild Hall and have seen the smoke coming from up there, that was Ruby's last day at the office. I mean, that was, that was Madge's last day at the office. Yeah, she yeah. Fu- actually... Yeah, yeah she's... She's gone, thank goodness. I mean, I am just tired of her. She rewrote my scripts for JOTC, and that uh-huh. just blew my stress level. I mean, really. she's She thinks that she has to be in it. I mean, from the minute I started uh-huh. work on season two and I said I need a female actor, she taunted me, as you already know. Have you read... Uh have you read Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy? No, no, I haven't. Well, well, those who have will know about the infamous Sirius Cybernetics Corporation and how they tried to infuse all of their robotic creations with uh, genuine people personalities. And it was never quite a success. Well, I think we saw some of the same things with our phone bot, Madge. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. It never really did quite hit on all cylinders or whatever, but she did make our lives interesting there for a while. Yep. And now she's gone, and I am... Well, I'm not Off face it, you miss her. Come on, admit it. I'm not saying a word. Okay. So, um, what do we see going on in 2006? Do you have any speculations of what could be coming up this year? I don't know. I don't know where our podcast is going. I do know that we've almost been here for a year, Moog. An entire year. We've been doing this for so long. Oh, I mean, really. Well, well uh... This will appear in our 12th podcast. It hasn't really been a year. It's been 12 podcasts. Well, yeah. I mean, we've just... Uh, yeah. Our company has almost... Our company. Uh, yeah, yeah. Our podcasting group has been around for almost a year now. Yeah. I mean, it's we been... We started uh, scraping together the people and the ideas. Our first podcast, as I remember, actually came out in August or September. Yeah. We'll be almost a yeah. year old. It was right after the Until Uber anniversary party. Yeah. And, um, but it took a lot of preparation before we could get to that point. So, yeah, it's been probably yeah. close to a year since we actually started this. Almost. I mean, just a few more yeah. months and we'll last mm-hmm. one year, yeah. which will be a milestone indeed. It'll be a very different kind of year for us. Last year, when we started uh, the Cavern Today and Cavern Communication Network, all we had to work with was Until Uru and the kind of a nebulous future of well, we're hoping that this will turn into Uru Live someday. A lot of things have happened since then. Oh, yeah. The, um, I, the, uh, uh, the DRC forum came alive again with mysterious postings. 
when the DRC started talking to us, wanted to elect the liaisons, Rand, uh, well, Demolopshard opened for that matter, and Rand announced that in a uh, posting on the DRC, DRC forum as well as our interview on Cavern Today. So a lot's happened, mm-hmm. and since so much of what's coming up this year is really up in the air and is based on cautious optimism, quote-unquote, we really don't know where we're going, and well, <laughs> you knew that, you could tell that, but we are really going to be playing a lot of the Cavern Today by ear this year and kind of just going by the news we hear when we hear it and trying to respond as rapidly as we can. If there really is a revival of Uru Live, we will need to cover that and we'll need to adjust uh, the Cavern Today to accommodate that. So we really aren't planning too far in the future, to tell you the truth. <laughs> yeah, with all the things going on, we need to just be prepared and ready, because, I mean, who knows? Maybe Rand will say something at Mysterium this year. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the interesting parts is our little acting troupe, uh, the Cavern Players, has kind of broken off as an independent uh, operation now, and I think that it will really free us up to do some neat creative things, and we will actually be doing some work outside of the Uru and Mist Arena. Yeah, it's... But also, but, uh, also continuing to do the you know Journey of the Cauld and things like that and contributing to the Cavern today as Cavern players. I'll be interested to see what Andy has in mind for the Cavern players. She's, yeah. she's I know for a fact she's been working real hard lately. She's the been, wheels are really turning behind the scenes. She's yeah. been setting up uh, a website. Um, mm-hmm. She's got uh, many things going. I don't want to say too much because I, mm-hmm. I don't want to say anything she wouldn't want me to say. But um, right now things seem to be looking up, and she's really excited about it. And I think we're really going to enjoy what uh, the this the TCP comes out with. Yeah. Well, uh, one of the things that I noticed right away is that uh, the our dramatic serial journey of the call. Some of the other things we did, the poetry. Poetry Slam. I remember like that. that. Was huge fun. Yeah. Uh, they were such enormous fun to do. And I think some of us noticed that we actually actually had, if not the skill so much, <laughs> at least the inclination uh, to be, uh, to do uh, readers' theater, you know, to act directly from scripts, to do interpretive readings of poetry, and found that we really did enjoy it a lot. But when we would try to play such features for our families, they went right over their heads because it was built around Uru and Mist, etc., and not everybody is into that. So one of the things I think that drove this break-off of Cavern Players is we'd like to try some things that are outside that arena. Yes, in fact, I... I reach a general audience. Yeah, I would like, I don't want to say too much, but I would like to start some projects that are not related to the Cavern, particularly mm-hmm. because it's it would be interesting to see what I could come up with that is not mist related. I mean, JOTC was my really my first uh, story released on the air through audio drama, mm-hmm. and I would like to see what I could come up with um, outside of the fantasy of Uru. And I already have some mm-hmm. ideas, and I've got something in the works. And that's something I thought of too. I mentioned that some of us found out that we really do enjoy acting and things like that. And one of the interesting phenomena about you know Cavern Today, Journey of the Called, etc is it has, well, in the case of Journey of the Call, to be specific, Ty is, you know, a teenager, 19 years old, with a good head for putting together a fantasy story, likes to write, 
Where else but something like this would he have people clamoring to act his plays, actually together to perform those plays and have somebody produce and assemble those and distribute them around the world? I, I will what say... What a great opportunity this is. It is a lot of work, though. And yeah. for those of yeah. you who are thinking of doing it, I will warn you right now. If you <laughs> think writing them is just the hard part... Don't get too many actors, because like Moog said earlier, it is very hard to get them all gathered, because in my case, I'm dealing with people on Central Time and Eastern Time, and that doesn't always work out, and plus, you got real life to consider here, because it's mm -hmm. not like we're... Uh, 12 years old and still can talk on the phone with our friends. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, once you get to the point where you're dealing with actual people, it is a lot of work to do. And I'll say yeah. that sometimes if you can't get the right amount of people, it can be disastrous. I mean, you just mm -hmm. got to be careful. If you're going to write a drama and you're going to have all these actors, you need to make sure that you keep it down to at least two to three actors, most likely. And it's just yeah. it's a lot of work. Not a lot Those chances are much better than finding two or three people whose schedules are free at a particular hour of a particular day versus six or seven scattered all across the country. You know, I remember the ocean. back when we were doing season one and it was just the three of us and we would usually mm -hmm. meet on Thursdays, I believe. Yep, Thursday afternoons. And that was easy because we only had me, you, and Gene. But even so, Gene lives in Anchorage, Alaska. You're uh, from Tacoma, Washington. I'm in the St. Louis, Missouri area. And for the first episode or two, Ruby was listening in from Jacksonville, Florida. So we were spanning the entire United States from Florida clear over to Alaska. How many time zones was that? Okay, let's it see. Made it, <laughs> uh, it made it very challenging to all get together. Pacific, Eastern, Central, and I don't know what Gene was on. What, four hours difference then? Hmm. I don't know. She was something, but it was probably most likely four time zones. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It was great. But again, it really points out one of the fantastic things about the cavern today is it's not just you know the four time zones. We collaborate with a staff of wonderful folks from all around the world. I think we've got like four staffers from the Netherlands now and three or four from the UK. Our website is built by Miles in Cape Town, South Africa. JW is from Perth, Australia. Zam is from Toulouse, France. It really is a global thing, and we're uh, we're learning about each other. Uh, we're conversing over Skype with folks from halfway around the world, learning things about our cultures. It's just been a real treat, and uh, our forum is a very lively place. We <laughs> exchange a lot of ideas and bat around ideas for future podcasts and uh, proposals and critiques. It's it's just a wonderful forum and a fun place to hang. You know, out. it's going to be really interesting to see what happens to CCN if live comes back. I mean, if we think yeah. we got... That's kind of what I was getting at before. It could really change the way we do things. <laughs> I mean, it'll be interesting because we're all going to be like, okay, it's a new area, I want to go, uh -huh. <laughs> and then we have to report on it. But that's going to be fun, and um, I don't... It would be interesting to have Mary Sutherland come on to the Cavern today as an interview to talk about. We'd love to interview the, some of the DRC. Yeah. So if you guys are listening, and we still got, yeah, we still got Cyan interviews that we've kind of kicked around. It'd be fun to ask like Rawa, you know, Richard Watson. Oh my gosh, Dr. that Watson. would be fun. And uh, or to have back some of the guys we interviewed previously would just be a treat. Yeah, I would. But we get into things like, uh, uh, well, getting back into Uru Live when it revives, it'll be. It'll be very tricky, because in the same way that we have to avoid spoilers on the forums, 
we're going to have to realize that if we talk about new ages, for example, there will be, even after we've got some experience in those ages, we can't ruin it for the newbies, you know. <laughs> I there know. There will be people coming into the new ages constantly. And, you know, it'll be interesting because this will undoubtedly draw new players, and they're going to have prime to Denny and maybe even teapots to go through before they even reach the New Ages, which I'm still wondering how Cyan is going to pick up the pieces. I honestly am. I mean, Yeah, that's been one of the things that I've speculated about, and some others have too, on the, uh, on the Uru forums, if it will be a complete rewrite with a new physics engine. <laughs> you know, I w- Which you'd almost hope. You to know. be truthful, I would not mind if they reintroduced Urkana and Onane. That entire oh, teapots thing. Yeah. I would not mind that at yeah. all. I'd love to see those as live. live yeah, because, because you know, they were meant to be live, and no offense to you, Cyan people, but Anane is the evil that is in Uru, okay? <laughs> I can't stand going through that age. You thought Kadish was bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe <laughs> no, it's sorry. Kadish's fault. After all, he was well, yeah, Palamir. Yeah. yeah, it's Kadish. Yeah, yeah. Nothing to do with Cyan. It's all Kadish's fault. Now, on another note, um, mm-hmm. the DRC released an image of an age that looks like the Eater Ages. In fact, it is an Eater Age. Yeah, so do you remember the name of it, Edder or something? No, but, you know, it makes me wonder, is that another age that belonged to Kadish, or is it one of the Garden Ages that were created? Because apparently at one time, there were many Garden Ages created. Yeah, who was the king responsible for the Edders that we explored? You know... I know know we read his story. Do you think it could be that Garden Age mentioned in the story of King Shamat? Uh, Shomat is who I was thinking of. I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out, perhaps. Yeah, you know, that story is incomplete. Mm-hmm. And apparently there's another version of it in the Hall of Kings. Yeah. But that's yeah. probably the Dinyai's version, which makes me wonder, is the one in the Hall of Kings the lie, and the one in <laughs> the... I'm going to go with Yisha, okay? Okay. As you know me, I'm Mr. Tyon. I wear the Yisha oh, all yeah. the time, so I'm going with her. Uh-huh. And that's going to make me wonder, how is Yisha going to explain, well, I abandoned you for a year and a half? <laughs> like, why did you leave us here? But uh-huh. they may just... You do wash that Yisha shirt periodically, don't you? I mean, oh. Every time I see you, you're wearing it. Well, you know, recently, I wasn't. I was wearing oh, my man. CCN uh, jacket, but I recently oh, okay. put it back on. Okay. Um, I, w- I sometimes take it up to the surface to clean because I don't want Millicuddy to get her hands on it. She offered to no, clean it once, no. and that was enough for me. <laughs> so, yes, I clean it often, and well, good. actually, it's been a while since I've spent some time in the cavern. I went down there a few nights ago, um, but mm-hmm. I haven't really spent much time in the cavern these past few months. Um, I've gone down a few times. One of the things that's very interesting to me is when I do go down, I see a lot of names I don't recognize. Yeah, that's a good sign. I'm. Yeah, it's a very good sign, because it makes... It means that new folks are coming Yeah, in I'm and, glad uh, we're getting all this stuff. So if you guys are listening and you're wondering about the cavern, buy it. Come down. Populate. As many of you as you can. We want more of mm-hmm. you. So can you think of anything else? Well, let's see. I remember one thing in Podcast One that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Gadrin's Mist 5 interview. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember when Mist 5 was coming out and we were all, like, so excited? I mean, there was a party in Denis for Mist 5. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. And, 
you know, we brought a lot of the community together, and then we really played it, and a lot of folks decided, you know, <laughs> I enjoyed it a lot. I really, truly did enjoy Mist 5. Uh, but it sure did come out to mixed reviews, I'll say that. Yeah, but you know, it was interesting for me particularly, and I'm sure a lot of others, because it showed the human side of Yisha. Yeah, yeah, it did. Because, truthfully, we only saw the side that was more mystical and grower-like. We, And, yeah. you know, yeah. a lot of people thought that she was bizarre already, and yeah. then when Miss Five came out, they're like, okay, she's a psycho. We got to see where she was coming from. But, you know, if you really take time to study Yisha, she's not. Mm-hmm. She's just mm-hmm. very different. She's very entwined with the, with the mm-hmm. maker and the borrow, and... Had a lot on her mind. I don't <laughs> know if that. everyone knows this. Um, I learned this from a friend of mine, Ellery. Um, mm-hmm. She told me that apparently when Yisha was traveling down into the cavern or something mm-hmm. like that, she all came close to dying, and the Baro somehow saved her. And I th- so that's why she feels such a deep yeah, and I also think that's gratitude to them. That's and the why need to, she yeah, she acts the way she does. So yeah. Yisha isn't a psycho; she's just very different. She's intense. She's driven. I'll say that. I will say this: if they bring back Uru live, I want to know more about Callum. Yes, yes, and maybe some more about Escher. Maybe his past. Mm-hmm. You know, you you know this, Maul, because you read it. Because Escher was mentioned in the book of. Was he in the book of Dinny or was it in Tiana? Because I know he was a guildmaster, apparently. Or maybe That's that, a good question. Maybe that wasn't <laughs> the Escher we know, but it might have been. Yeah. I don't know. But um, whatever the outcome, there are a lot of questions I still have about, you know, Yisha's relationship with the borrow, the borrow themselves. Now, mm-hmm. I want to know why they were imprisoned by the tablet. If they are why so yeah. so humble and wise, that makes me think that maybe at a time they weren't so humble and wise. Maybe they were like mm-hmm. the Dene or, yeah. or or something. It's yeah. it's a lot. I hope we find that out because there is so much backstory. It's more than just ages and puzzles. I mean, there is those are just the means of telling this great story, and there are people to this story as well. <laughs> and yeah. it should be interesting to find out more about them. I wonder if and we'll to see just how they. How the story continues in their uh, their resumption of Uru Live. Well, I yeah, I let's what you is think? there anything? I can't think of anything else. You want to put a lid on this and mm. give the listeners a break and move on to something better? Sure, why not? <laughs> That's kind of a given. Yeah. Well, we'll see you later for the cavern today. This is Moog and Tyon signing, signing off. off. Hello, this is Steve Prox. I'm joined here by my DRC liaison, Vortimax. Hello, Vortimax. Hello. It's been an interesting few days with the Eurolive site going live. I think the server was overloaded more than once. Uh, yeah, it was down after uh, the first couple of hours after the news came out. It went down and stayed down most of the night, it looked like. And uh, I, I really hope Turner takes that as a good sign. Yeah, hopefully. I know it was down for most of the rest of the day as well. Yeah, well, I, I got to talk to Moak later that day, and he said they were resetting the server every half an hour or so, trying to keep up with it. Being a liaison as you are in talking to Sion and DRC, did you know anything about Uruli, the site going live? No. No, we had no idea, actually. we Everybody keeps going, did you guys know something? Come on, you had to... No, we had no idea. They're very good, these DRC people, at keeping things secret. (laughs) 
and Sign made it a DRC IT thing now, so people can talk about the DRC getting funding or moving ahead or... Well, unofficial, I mean, they haven't told me anything officially, but as I understand it, if Cyan has funding, then that means the DRC has funding for the restoration as well. So we could pretty much go ahead and say, I see, yes, the restoration has funding. Uh, we don't know for how long it's going to have funding. We hope this is permanent. But uh, at least for now, things are going to be moving forward with the DRC. We've all seen uh, Rawa's Chaos Chart, I think it's called. Yeah, uh, Cautious Optimism something or other chart. <laughs> have you signed up to the beta for it yet? Because I know some people have been having problems. I actually managed to get in uh, and get signed up for it that night before the server went down. And I I hope I'm going to get in. Moke seems to think that most of us will get in. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that as well. I was in the, the old beta with Ubisoft as well. And so that, that was really exciting. It would be great to be in both of them if I can manage it. Uh, what's it exactly like to be a liaison? Well, it's it's not really what I expected, honestly. I sort of expected us to be going to the DRC and saying, hey, here's what everybody wants to know about, and getting answers from them. Uh, as it turns out, we're not getting a whole lot more answers than the rest of you guys are. Uh, and, and I kind of was hoping for a little bit more than that. As it's running now, it looks like our main job is setting up these town hall meetings, coming up with ideas, uh, working out schedules, trying to get people there, and, and running the meetings. So it's just trying to create a interface for science. Well, yeah, uh, Cyan and the DRC, and that's that's really weird because in-character, I mean, basically the job is an in-character job, or in-cavern job, I should say, and so we really deal more with the DRC side of things, although... Uh, for example, with this this meeting we're having on Thursday, are you still there? Yeah. Okay. For some reason, it's the okay. There it is. Anyway, uh, with this meeting we're having Thursday, we will be doing an event with uh, one of the scientists instead. But we're trying to alternate back and forth between the Cyan meetings and the DRC meetings so that people can do both IC and OOC questions. What time was the Cyanist meeting tomorrow? Uh, one will one will be at 9 a.m. cavern time, and one will be at 9 p.m. cavern time. And cavern time is... U- currently it's U.S. Mountain Daylight Time, which is, I believe, six hours off of GMT. Is there a preset hood for that? Uh, right now we're going to try putting it into a... It's called Town Hall 1 Neighborhood. We're looking at using, uh, instead of using other neighborhoods, using a couple that we create just to see how it goes. And if this one works, we may keep doing that. If not, uh, it, we may go back to using other people's hoods. It all sort of depends on how it runs and, and what kind of feedback we get on this. As a liaison, have you noticed people treating you differently in the cabin? A little bit. It's It's been more and more people think that we know things <laughs> that we don't necessarily know. Uh, but a lot of people are coming up and going, well, hey, do you have the latest news? Is there anything new? Uh, any more pictures? Anything like, you know, things like that. And it, it's kind of fun. And But at the same time, there are times I just don't want to play the role anymore. <laughs> and I say, okay, I'm taking the day off right now. I don't know anything. I'm just going to hang out and party. <laughs> what was it like in that first meeting with the DRC? 
<laughs> that was an adventure in and of itself because I logged on that morning and found out my original avatar had uh, somehow gotten stuck in the lattice, it seems. Uh, I ended up having to recreate a, a new avatar and run through the cleft again and, and bother Marie trying to get in. And I ended up about half an hour late. But it was fun, actually. Uh, we That was the, the the time we got to see the first pictures of uh, Edward, or the picture, there's only one, of Edward Dellen. Which was really nice, and I really enjoyed that. And then getting to meet all of them and see what they thought about different things, you know, sort of where they wanted us to go, that was interesting too. But it, it overall, it was just it was really it was kind of overwhelming seeing all four DRC members in the same place at the same time. Yeah, I've been hunting in the uh, Damina for a couple of day, uh, weeks now, and I still haven't managed to even find one, unfortunately. <laughs> They're on every now and then. They were on... We only even got two of them. Uh, only Marie and Dr. Kadama showed up for our last meeting, and I, Kadama didn't, wasn't even able to stay that long. He seems to be very, very busy. I don't know what he's doing exactly, but he's busy doing it. What was it like to see out of Dylan, and what do you think of it? Uh, all I've seen is that one picture, and when, when I first came in and saw it on the Imager in the Uruto neighborhood, uh, I was really impressed. I, well, at first, I, I was excited to see something new. Then I was a little disappointed that it looked so much like Edder, uh, Kimo. But after Marie explained that, you know, this is only a very small part of it, and yes, there are a lot of similarities, but there are different things, I got excited again. And I'm really looking forward to seeing it in person one of these days, if we can ever convince them to let us in. Did your opinions of the DRC members change in the first meeting as you got to talk to them and speak to them? Um, a little bit. I, I, you learned a little bit, or I learned a little bit more about their sense of humor. They actually, some of them have one. Uh, you wouldn't expect Dr. Kadama to make jokes, but he actually does occasionally. Uh, but they're, for the most part, they're really friendly people, and and I think they really do want to help. They've just, they've been busy trying to get funding, and now that they've got funding, they're going to be busy working on actually restoring things and getting things working, and, and uh, we probably won't see a whole lot of them for a little while yet. Uh, one thing I will say is... Uh, if I didn't know better, I'd think Dr. Kadama was just angry at everybody. <laughs> he always is very brusque in his answers. And, and you know, knowing better, uh, that doesn't bother me. But if you didn't know better, you might think he didn't like you for some reason. Was it him who made the comments about Phil taking drugs or something that seemed to upset quite a few people? I, I don't remember if that was him, although I, I could sort of see him saying that. It was quite a shock to read some of the chat logs about where Phil Axman always imagined him as being a very angry character, and he seems to be quite mad. He really is. He's he's actually really laid back, and you'd expect him to be mad all the time having to deal with all this technology that's, I mean, beyond us in so many ways, but uh, he's, he seems to be doing pretty well. Although I will say, if you ever find any uh, Dunny technical manuals laying around in the cavern, do let him know he will probably jump up and down and hug you for them. <laughs> so anyway, I know you've said it earlier, but do you have any insider information for us? Or... Uh, we really don't. They, Like I said, they're not telling us a whole lot more than uh, they're telling you guys. And everything we get you, uh, comes directly back out to, to the cavern. 
we do have a website at the Under the Mist Embassy site that has all the latest news on it, but right now there's not a whole lot of news. We're hoping after tomorrow's meeting we'll learn a bit more. And is there anything else you'd like to say? Or? Oh, thanks for electing me, everybody. <laughs> uh, I didn't really expect it, honestly, but it happened and I'm very happy about it. And uh, I'm hoping that as we get better and better at figuring out what exactly we're doing, the job's going to get easier. And hopefully by the time we have our next elections, uh, things will be a lot smoother for the next group of liaisons. If we even keep using them, we'll see. Now that live is coming back, we may not need them anymore. Thanks for uh, joining me tonight. All right, thanks. Thanks for the interview. Hello again, this is Moog for the Cavern Today. Immersive. Now there's a word that gets a lot of use in the adventure gaming community. One of the hallmarks of the Myst Adventures and the other games that they inspired is that they are just that, immersive. Yeah, you may be sitting at a junky-looking desk with a TV going in the next room and the kids throwing toys at each other at the end of the hall, but as far as you're concerned, you're on a different world in some unknown corner of the galaxy, wandering around in a massive rotating building and trying to figure out some obscure piece of machinery. And it's tough because the last time that you were in a rotating building was at that college party years ago, and the next morning, your friends adamantly maintained that the building wasn't actually rotating, but you knew better. But I digress. I'd like to relate a true story that will hopefully illustrate how immersive games can be just a little too realistic. Let's go back a couple of years. I had a really enjoyable summer job with a local plant nursery. Most of my day was spent doing general handiwork around the place. Now, here's a typical scenario. The owner of the business asked me to rig up a couple of new overhead drip irrigation lines running the length of one of the greenhouses. Fair enough. So the first step was to gather all the tools and equipment I need so it's back to the warehouse where we store that kind of thing. And I got a big roll of flexible PVC pipe for the main line and a spool, a little, little skinny tubing that we used for the drip lines, also the plastic spikes for the end of the drip lines that you stick into the hanging plant baskets. I carried the whole lot the length of the property to the greenhouse in question, laid the stuff out, and went to work. Well, naturally, the first tool that I needed was a tubing cutter, and I'd forgotten that. So it was all the way back to the warehouse, only to find, after an extended scrounge through the tool bins, that the cutter was nowhere to be found. So then it's another long search trying to find the owner to ask if he's seen the tubing cutter. Not finding him, I asked someone if they'd seen him, only to get the reply, Oh, he drove into the city to pick up a shipment of flowers. He should be back around noon. Fine. So the job stalled before I even start. Oh, I tried to remember the last place I'd seen him working, and eventually found the cutter in a different greenhouse hidden under a box. Right. Okay, back to business. With all the tubing laid out, cut to length, and assembled, it's time to actually string it through the greenhouse rafters and secure it with nylon cable ties. And, of course, I'd forgotten those. So I repeated the entire previous search, only to find them in the back room of the shop where someone had left them after some other job. So I headed back to the greenhouse, ready to climb into the rafters, when I noticed that I'd forgotten to bring the ladder. Ah, well, that shouldn't be too hard. 
there's only one stepladder on the grounds, and being orange, it's pretty easy to spot. Or so you'd think. After half an hour of searching, the ladder was quite decidedly missing in action. Oh well, it was time for lunch anyway. So once lunch was taken care of, it was back to the ladder search, which was again fruitless. I finally asked one of the gals in the shop and learned that the owner had borrowed the ladder to do some painting in his house, next door to the shop, and that they were not home and the house was locked. So then, no ladder. You get the idea. Suffice it to say that when I left for home that afternoon, all my tubing was still lying on the floor of the greenhouse in hopes that the ladder would turn up the next day so I could finish. And when I got home, I was pretty much worn out. Not surprising, really, because I'd walked for miles that day trying to find tools and materials and people, and I still couldn't finish what I'd started. So after supper, it was a pleasure to kick back, fire up the PC, and just relax for a while. Now, oddly, this story doesn't involve Uru, but that's mainly because I'd taken a temporary break from the cavern to indulge in Siberia 2, which had recently released. Now, Siberia is a simply stunning adventure game, with an engaging story and lovely environments. It differs from the Myst series in some ways, one way being that it's a bit more inventory-based. And by that I mean that while exploring extensively and carefully observing your surroundings, you need to collect every last little object that you find in the hopes that you can use those objects later in the story. Now, there's nothing wrong with that concept. In fact, it can make for a really amazing adventure. But in most cases, the game designers will have gone out of their way to make it a challenge not only to solve the puzzles, but to find the very tools you need to solve those puzzles. In the case of Siberia, I found myself wandering endlessly in repeated attempts to find certain items that were critical to the story. Bundles of sticks, or matches, ropes, books, scrub brushes, and so on. It wasn't always obvious where the items were, which again can make for hours of gameplay. But after the day I had, the game just seemed to be mocking me. I finally sat back and had a good laugh. My time with Siberia was reflecting, in a hilarious way, exactly what I'd been doing all day anyway, wandering endlessly, looking for tools and supplies, not finding them, and, and finally asking, via the walkthroughs in the case of Siberia, only to find that those tools weren't available anyway, or at least not in that location. It was immersive, all right, and it was immersing me in the very same situations in which I'd been immersed all day, and which had left me exhausted. Wow. It's funny when your attempts at escapism mirror real life that closely. Maybe that's why I enjoyed my work at the greenhouses so much. It was a whole lot like a real-life adventure game, but admittedly there were days when I really just wanted to complete the age and move on. <sighs> oh, well, I'd better sign off. I need to go clean out the gutters. Now, if I could only find my ladder. For the cavern today, this is Mowog signing off. listening to The Cavern today, and we hope you'll join us for our next podcast. Our CCN staff members include Tyon, Washington, USA, Verloon, the Netherlands, Zam, France, Lissa, Texas, USA, Moag, Missouri, USA, Drachmith, USA, SJ, Illinois, USA, Supergram, New York, USA, Deg, Pennsylvania, USA, Ken Telenome, Ohio, USA, Pally64, Switzerland, Lord Chaos, California, USA, Torinico, California, USA, Dark UK, United Kingdom, Stella Flora, United Kingdom, 
Marin, the Netherlands, Miles, South Africa, JWPJ, Australia, Gadron, Kansas, USA, Delanor, the Netherlands, Galen, Iowa, USA, Almas, North California, USA, Steve Crocs, United Kingdom, Ellery, Washington, USA, Mateus, United Kingdom, Decoder J, Iowa, USA, Alti Weber, the Netherlands, LCC from the Huru Project Shard, Ohio, USA, Dalkin Starbine, Illinois, USA, Alhan, Wisconsin, USA, Ruby Odegui, Florida, USA, Donahue, South California, USA, Dreaming Girl, USA, Janathus, Michigan, USA, Almanant, Kentucky, USA, Gert, the Netherlands, Meridian, Ottawa, Canada, Mrs. McGillicuddy bought temporary services, Poughkeepsie, USA. The Cavern Today, The Cavern Players, Troop, and The Short Wave are all CCM Productions and Until Uru Fan Presentations. This is Tyon, signing off. May the pinnacles rise up to meet you. May the glowbugs be always at your back. May the sunshine reflect on every Yisha page you do not see. And may the rain fall on your alto only when you desire rain. And until we meet again, may you be blessed with thy good fortune wherever you settle. Shura Bishiem. May the pinnacles rise up to meet you. May the glowbugs be always at your back. May the sunshine reflect of every Yisha page you do not see. May the rain fall on your alto, only when you desire rain. And until we meet again, may you be blessed with the night good fortune wherever you settle. Shorah B'Shem